Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Getting a throat infection or cold sores are often seen as something that most people experience at some point in their lives. However, when those infections are lower down, say on someone's genitals, there's a tremendous amount of added stigma that seems to come out of nowhere. Whether you get cold sores on the lips of your face or on your genitals, they're still just cold sores. A bacterial infection in your throat that's easily treatable with antibiotics, how different is that from one on your arm or one on your genitals that's easily treated with antibiotics? So why all the stigma? Today we're talking with Charisma, a former addict and genital cold sore person, about the concept of catching stigma. The real fear for me in contracting any STI, other than just getting sick, Um, is really just catching stigma itself, whereas the infection I know is probably much less scary than the way that it's sold to us in school. I got a lot of education after school, so I have a fairly good idea of which ones are easily treatable. Most chlamydia and gonorrhea and syphilis, for example, if you catch them and treat them, they're very treatable. The only real damage they tend to do is if they go undetected and you carry those infections for a long period of time. And since most of those infections can be asymptomatic some of the time, if not most of the time, it's a really good idea to get tested even if you don't have lots of different sex partners. I also know which ones have vaccines, like HPV, the treatment for which is a nearly painless cooling of the skin over the infected areas, stimulating your immune system to, of its own processes, take care of the infection by itself. This process can take less than two weeks, although you may be infectious to others before you see infected areas, during the course of infection, of course, and afterwards as well. Like HSV, that's herpes simplex or cold sores, any viral infection can be transmitted when you're asymptomatic. Even HIV, a different virus, has a treatment these days. What used to be a death sentence is only really a danger if you are not able to access the medication for it, really. It's additionally a danger if you're having protected sex with someone and you do not have proof that you have told them you're HIV positive in Canada, you could theoretically be convicted in court, thanks to stigma, of crimes like attempted murder, though I should mention these crappy outdated laws are finally being overturned in courts. 
The point being that even the most harmful STIs, the primary way they harm you today, in my opinion, in most cases, is usually going to be either untreated long-term effects, if you're not getting tested and you don't get treated, or more importantly, the stigma itself. So stigma can get in the way of testing, being willing to accept that you may need testing, diagnosis, being willing to accept that might actually be what's happening, and treatment, being willing to get treatment and be seen to be getting treatment. So consider going to get tested just as a way of handling stigma, just as a way of tackling stigma in your life and thinking a lot about if you're not getting tested, why you're choosing not to get tested, what's really at stake. In Canada, at least, it's free. You can go get tested. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, you can go to getchecktonline.com and you can get tested extremely easily and anonymously. If someone gets sick, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You don't need to make out with someone with a flu. You don't need to have sex with someone who has an STI you feel is outside of your risk profile. However, I think it's really important to keep in perspective that if someone's sick, regardless of where they're sick, they're just sick. It's just my two cents. Now, let's talk to Charisma about it. So another thing that I've been kind of struggling with or living with, I should say, um, for the past, I want to say, seven years, mm-hmm. roughly, is um, is the fact that um, I've been HSV positive and and uh, and you know what? Honestly, when I found out about it, you know. I've I've had cold sores ever since I was a kid. Uh, you know, a lot of people have them. It's very common. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a big deal to a lot of people. But for some reason, as soon as somebody gets the equivalent below the belt, it turns into this huge, scary thing that people don't want to talk about, that people don't want to associate with, people don't want to be a part of, they don't want to have sexual experiences with people because... Mm of so much of the stigma and this negative correlation to it. And and I think it's sad because it is so common. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that maybe aren't honest about it um, or don't want to talk about it due to the shame and guilt and and other feelings that are associated with it. Whereas really, like, it's, it's not my fault. It's not anyone's fault. Um, it's just something that happens and, and it is, again, that life on life's term and, and something that you just kind of got to find. It's like anxiety and depression. I mean, it's not it's not a glorious thing to have in life. It's not, um, it's not pretty, but you know what? It's not the end of the world either. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I first found out, it did feel like the end of the world. I was devastated. Um, I thought my dating life was over. I thought no one would ever love me. Um, and I thought all these things because society has created this stigma and this dark cloud over HSV and certain STIs and and um, sexual and other wise practices. And, um, and I very much disagree with that. And mm-hmm. I would like to... If at all, if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, I would like it to be just that there's no shame in being HSV positive or, you know, or having experiences um, throughout life um, in this respect that, um, you know, sometimes you're dealt the cards you're dealt and um, 
it might not be a good hand, but you got to kind of roll with it, right? And um, and I've definitely been working on the stigma in my own life and the way that I choose to look at it and how it affects me and my personal perspective and my um, my views around it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's greatly changed over the years. So I think it's important for other people to know that it's not a big deal. Um, you know what? I, I've faced more acceptance than rejection, um, which is not what I was anticipating at all. And um, That's really encouraging. Yeah. I, I think for me, the only thing that I'm afraid of whatsoever around HSV is the stigma. Mm-hmm. Like if I tested positive for HSV at some point or developed... Um, essentially what would be a cold sore but on my genitals because that's essentially what it is mm-hmm. um cool so what um oh now all of society is going to judge me for that and it's going to be like oh you get cold sores but you get them on your genitals oh i don't want to have sex with you there's like all of the stigma and it's it's funny because it's the same amount of risk right um it's oh um you're fine so <laughs> yeah so I just, I find it so funny that some people choose to have all this fear around genital herpes um, and not the same fear around cold sores. Right. And that they choose to have these sexual experience or get vulnerable with people who they know have had oral, cold sores. Oral cold sores, yeah. Um, and that you're, you're basically, you are taking the same risk. Right. Um, having any kind of intimate connection with somebody um, sexually, whether it's on your mouth or on your vagina, you know? Right. So like if you're having, if you're having th- uh, unprotected genitals in someone's um, herpes positive mouth, absolutely, they can definitely contract herpes still. Yeah. So, I mean, it is the same amount of risk and I, and I don't, and I think there's also a lot of mis- misconception around the type one versus the type two. Mm-hmm. Most people I've talked to over the years, I would say good 90 to 95% mm-hmm. think that type one is only on your lips, is only the oral variety, and type two is the general variety. Well, let me tell you, folks. That's a misconception. That is yeah. a huge misconception. Before I ever found out I had genital herpes, I actually had a sore tested um, on my lip, and I was tested positive for type one and type two antibodies. Wow. So, so that, have... and that was before I was ever sexually active as well. So, right. and I never had that Yep. That chance of getting it. So probably because one of your caretakers had been doing some doing some mouth stuff and had gotten Exactly. And or or one of your ancestors had at some point because there there is a correlation exactly, yeah. between types one and two and sites of infection, but that's all blurred now. I think it's more so in my experiences, because I know that I have type one and two and I have had different sores mm-hmm. show up in both areas. So mm-hmm. locations don't mean anything. Um, you can have type two on your mouth and type one on your genitals. Sure, sure, um, sure. You're right. So and yep. they're interchangeable. Yeah, um, you can get infected on any mucous membrane, theoretically. It, yeah. And you know what? A lot of people don't know this, but you can actually get it in your eyes in your throat and you know similar probably in your ass as well yeah that would be really uncomfortable yeah so similar environments right i don't know that for a fact i just like i'm like that's a mucous membrane so i don't know why you wouldn't be able to get infected there because it's skin and it's mucous membrane yeah no for sure it's infectable probably absolutely so yeah so that is a big misconception um and some people really like doing unprotected sex in the bum 
Yeah, totally. No, Our... sh- no shade throwing. I'm no, one of absolutely. those people. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Absolutely. Yes, to each their own is the best way to put that. I identify as an anal sex fetishist. So for yeah. me, it's like that is my primary mode of sexual expression. Yeah. It doesn't have to be unprotected, though. It's just that also... I am a degradation fetishist mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of things related to sex and genitals have been really highly stigmatized in my youth, mm-hmm. which is just like fuel for my eroticism now. So I'm like, oh, great. There's all this shame around like um, or around like ejaculate and around like letting someone penetrate you and around like letting someone ejaculate in your body like that makes you really like um, marked or like almost like in an ownership kind of possessive way. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. And like people would think I was disgusting for that. And I'm like, why is this arousing me? (laughs) It's just like, oh yeah, I'm a degradation fetishist. Okay. This makes sense to me. (laughs) It all makes sense now. (laughs) But then the issue is as I, as I sort of woke up from all of that and started destigmatizing stuff, Mm -hmm. less and less stuff turned me on. So now I'm like, how do I find things degrading enough that I'm like really into them? I'm like, no, I don't think anything's degrading anymore. It's the worst. Yeah, I've talked with other shame fetishists or degradation fetishists, and they've been like, oh, yeah, like, don't even talk to me about destigmatizing shit. Like, I'm not interested. Like, that's where all of my hotness is. And I'm like, I'm sure that's problematic on some level. But also, like, if you're not hurting anyone and you're not perpetuating these things to other people, like, go and get yourself off. Like, you go and enjoy those thoughts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Anyways, that's where I am. There's, have you seen this guide, by the way? There's this BC Center for Disease Control guide that's like a patient's care guide. I don't know if you can see it from that angle, um, but it's a patient's care guide to having HSV. And they actually have um, thoughts and feelings in here about like reframing thoughts. And they have a whole section mm-hmm. on crisis um, and on taking care of yourself. So it's like when you first receive a diagnosis, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what are ways you can cope with crisis? Um, Knowing your you... triggers too is a big one. Yeah. Because I have some triggers that I've found over the years and dehydration and stress are huge ones. That's really unfortunate because they're so prevalent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So dehydration and stress are triggers for my for my um, constipation and IBS. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, which makes sense. Yeah. So and then also issues I can relate with. So yeah, Yeah, I have the uh, the constipation form of IBS. So. I have both. You have. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> the 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 yeah. I have all the issues. The the multi of like having diarrhea and constipation yeah. IBS is just so frustrating, or so I am told. But like, as a person who has experienced diarrhea as part of other illnesses, mm-hmm. and then with IBS has typically experienced constipation, I'm like having both of those at the yeah. same time. And it is very much stress induced as well. <sighs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. If only I could like be experiencing one symptom and be like, cool, I just need to go and get really stressed and I'll just be normal. Yeah. <laughs> if only it worked like that. <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. Um, so some of the original thoughts they talk about reframing are exactly the thoughts that you brought up. Like, um, like I can never date or have sex again. Um, being reframed to like, I don't know how to talk about this to mm-hmm. new or current sex partners. And like the solution being like, eh, it's okay to not have all the answers. Like you mm-hmm. can always learn more about herpes and like how to talk to new partners about it. Mm-hmm. Which um, is, you know what? It's really hard at first. I really struggled with being open right away with people that I was interested in because yeah. I felt like if I got vulnerable right away that I would scare people off or they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me because of the stigmas and the negative connotations that go with Mm -hmm. the territory and and I've just found that over the years I'm just at a point now where 
it's just better for all parties to just be for me in my experience i am more comfortable being open and honest right away oh yeah um you were mentioning like you finally got to a place where you put it straight in your profile and you were oh, like yeah. everyone so, be advised i have this thing which is uh, just yeah absolutely so great. you know what when i yeah i started that account on fet life um a few years ago and i didn't have it on there right away and it was kind of liberating to finally put that on my profile and put it out into the open and just let everyone know that yeah this is if you're interested in whatever or like getting to know me more like this is a crucial thing that you should know about me um and that goes with the play partners as well it doesn't matter if it's romantic or sexual or whatever the structure looks like um i think that that's important information to share with people and they should always be um transparent about it so i wonder when they're going to just get a vaccine I have, like, yeah, I've been waiting because, you know, like, it's supposed Hep to C is curable now. I mean, <laughs> HIV isn't a death they're sentence. They're getting there with cancers. I mean, some of them, yep. Some yep. of them. Some I of mean, them I sure. know there's more cures than they're really revealing. Come on, let's get honest now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there's a cure, I'm sure they can make a lot of money off it. So I have a hard time believing they're hiding, hiding it. But we can agree to disagree on that one. I'm good with that. <laughs> well, the few people with all the money can definitely. Sure, sure. Help um, them. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if it's a if it's one of the last lines, if it's like a very very new cure, it's probably worth a lot more. And there will be less of it. Fuck, and anything sexual, anything sexual is always through the nose. You just pay through the nose. Like Gardasil is the perfect mm-hmm. example. My doctor was saying, like, not only is it like a ludicrously expensive vaccine, um, and and again, it's over like it's a vaccine against stigma predominantly. Mm-hmm. Granted, you don't want to get genital warts, and there is the possibility of cancer. cancer. It's a real mm-hmm. thing absolutely go and get vaccinated they don't even include like a 10 cent needle like a hypodermic the doctor has to use their own hypodermic which is uncommon Hmm. my doc my gp literally told me every other vaccine he's ever given like ever has come with the syringe to use for the vaccine as like a courtesy Mm -hmm. because it's so inexpensive to mass produce them gardasil is one of the very few that does not so there are other ones that possibly don't. Um, I'm not making any claims about the brand. Please don't sue me. But also, um, my GP said this, so I assume that it's accurate. Well, I've on an unofficial note with that, I've also heard a lot of people have negative experiences with that particular vaccine. Really? Um, yeah, some negative side effects and whatnot. So interesting. Yeah. I I didn't experience any negative side effects. I didn't personally. either personally. Yeah. And I I took it I took advantage while it was free. Also. Oh, you're so lucky. So it was never free for me because I'm too old. Yeah, I think it was like... What year were you born 91 to 94 or something like that. It was only a few years that they offered it. What may I ask? Is it okay to ask what year you're born in? 91. Okay. Only because it's an awesome year. It is an awesome year. (laughs) You were three when like the internet hit hit mainstream and everyone was like, what is this weird computer geek fad? Yeah. That's crazy to think about now. When you think back, you're like, what? Yeah. You were listening to this on a fad. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah. HSV. Yeah. So basically cold sores on genitals. Easy yeah. way to think of it. They're, it's not a big deal, people. For for like 99.9% of people. Because there are going to be people who are immunocompromised. There are going oh, totally. to be people. I, I totally understand. Sure. You know what? I'm a bit of a hypochondriac myself. And like that probably goes with the fact that I felt like absolutely devastated when I first found out. And felt like it was the end of the world for me. Sure. But... Um, I've had a lot of really positive experiences. And you know what? 
it's it's been an interesting experience for me personally because I am non-monogamous mm-hmm. and being somebody who is very um I like to be very sexually active as well. So um to be that kind of person with something that's so critical in my mind um was very difficult at first. Um and still can be. I mean, I've still been rejected a couple times and it hurts all the same, but um, as I've said, I've gotten much more, many more people that just don't care or that have it too, or that have had partners that have had it. Um, and just, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. mean. Plenty of my partners have had oral cold sores. Yeah. And they haven't cared that I had oral cold sores when I was younger. And like my last outbreak was like five years ago, four years ago. It's like. And there's also medication you can take. Um, mm-hmm. You can take it as a PRN. You can take it daily. There are options. Sorry, what's a PRN? Prophylactic? Um, PRN is just another way of saying as needed. Okay. So um, during an outbreak, for instance. Uh, okay. Um, there's different dosages. Can look up for um, valacyclovir, um, which is Valtrex for those that know name brands. Um, so basically, I think it's suggested that when you, ha- let's say you have a really bad cold sore, you can take four pills and then you take another four pills like 12 hours later or whatever it is. I think it's prorenata. It might which be is actually a shorter time in between, but. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's I okay. was just, so it's literally Latin for like as needed. Yeah. Like. What? Okay. Anyway, sorry. So <clears throat> you can take it as needed. I actually, yeah, I I used to work um, giving out medications in the oh, treatment facility. So. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, actually the same facility I went through <laughs> back in my time there. That's great. Um, and then, yeah, I worked there for three months kind of giving back and whatnot. That's so. like very full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like it's very important. Um, it was that- an important thing for me to do because... I was fully committed at that point. It's also kind of like the last step in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally. It gives trauma meaning to be able to use it to help other people. Yeah, and that's kind of what helps a lot of people um, stay away from their old life. Sure. Right? You also see it in other people and you're like, oh, I don't miss that. Yeah, no, for sure. Not that I personally know because I'm not – I've never used – in, in any kind of like long-term or, or consistent way. Um, but I do have like compulsive tendencies towards certain things like computer games. And like mm-hmm. I have had days where like I've had, so when I was younger, I literally had like seasons where uh, I don't want to say absentee parent parenting, but like to the point where I would be gaming like 12 hours a day, usually <laughs> mm-hmm. like between eight to 12 hours a day, every day during the summer when I wasn't in school, and my parents just kind of gave in and were like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I would just do that for like months at a time. And it was very unhealthy looking mm-hmm. back. But uh, yeah, so it's not the same thing at all. Totally different. But compulsion is compulsion. And mm-hmm. when it came to like um, like being a survivor of sexual assault, for example, um, I was sexually assaulted when I was very young, when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. Um being able to or even even something more relatable let's talk more about depression anxiety something i feel more comfortable talking about um so depression and anxiety being able to talk to other depressives and be like here are some cool strategies that i've used they've been very helpful for me how are they for you and when i hear people be like oh that thing is super helpful it's like it's really healing it Mm -hmm. like doesn't feel like i wasted my entire life being depressed in this way not knowing this skill because that 
forced me to learn these skills Mm -hmm. that was very healing or helpful for someone else. And then it just like suddenly validates all of the trauma that I experienced and all the Mm -hmm. depression and anxiety resulting from it. See, what's funny about that is I have like an annoying nagging in my head where when somebody tries to give me pointers or things that help them, I'm so very grateful and I want the pointers and I want to try new things. But my depression is like, no, you don't. Mm. You don't want to hear this. Right. You don't right? want to change. You don't no. want to. You don't want these solutions. Like, thank you, but no thank you. It's just new problems. Right? <laughs> and it's just like, you want, I don't know. Like, I've been struggling a lot lately with wanting to change so badly. Like, wanting to be more positive um, and changing my perspective a bit more. Checking in on my gratitude on things and stuff. And, yeah, I don't know. It's It's a bit of a struggle. How would trying to be more neutral feel? Like, not so much trying to be more positive, but just being less negative towards yourself. I feel like I kind of have been lately. That's great. That That's a win. If yeah. You're, if you're starting from a place where you do a lot of negative spirals, getting to a place where you're like, now I don't. That's a huge win. Or just like, I'm so tired and exhausted that I just don't have the energy for it. I love how you're like, get out of here, depression. I don't have time for you today. Yeah. I have honestly, to work. I've, I've had to do that. I mean, that sounds really functional, but I also find that, like, mental health stuff has a way of, like, being like, okay, you can shove me into the background for now. I will resurface. <laughs> and I will build my numbers. And then when Absolutely, you least yeah. expect it, it will just all vomit over your life in a way that completely is disruptive. And you know when that happens? It's usually when I'm in an upward spiral. It's usually when something is finally going well or I feel hopeful towards something. Do you feel like you don't deserve those experiences? No, I mostly am a bit of, I'm a martyr and a victim a lot of the times in my head. And so I will go out of my way for other people even when I don't want to. And then I'll be angry about it and stew about it and then... You know, putting myself out and then being upset about it. That's really common for depression. I've done that before. Yeah. Um, Apparently, it's called passive communication. It's a passive communication thing. Yeah, totally. Because, like, I don't want to do it, but I don't know. It's a weird commitment issue, too. But you also don't want to say no. Yeah. It's it's hard to say no. All sorts of fears. Fear of rejection. Fear of, like, I'm not lovable. Fear of rejection is huge. Or, like, I'm not wanted. Mm -hmm. Like, this whole community thinks I'm I'm just disposable here. And anyone who Mm -hmm. says otherwise is just being superficial and, like, lying Or comparative, right? Comparative thinking is really Mm -hmm. dangerous for me. Like, I'm not as good as. I'm not as good looking as. Especially in monogamy. um, Skillful as, you know, like, what do I really have going on for myself? When really it's like, if I look at all the things that I've accomplished in the last few years, there's a lot to be grateful for. There's a lot to feel proud about. Like I'm a journeyman electrician. Like I've been through some crazy schooling. Mm -hmm. um, And I honestly didn't think I would make it through that schooling. And I did. And, and being through, um, you could literally start your own company. And just, like, hire other electricians. Like, you could you could be doing, ex- <laughs> like, in, like, five or ten years. Like, there's just, like, endless potential that I see for the things you could do. Yeah. So, I mean, there is there is a lot to be grateful for and a lot of things that I should be proud about and things to focus on when I'm not feeling mm-hmm. good about my life or about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Focusing on things that are going well can be helpful. It can also be avoidant. Mm-hmm. Um, but... 
that's such a tricky one. Mm-hmm. And you're the expert of your own spiraling. Because, like, I know when when people are sort of trying to instruct me on my own depression, I'm like, oh, friend, like, I've got this. I've been there for, like, decades. Like, I can exactly can how I'm do feeling, that right? shit in my sleep. So it's like, I, I know you don't need advice on being depressed. Um, at the same time, like, I hear what you're saying about that catch of, like, this is so familiar and I don't want to let this go. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you live with it your whole life, like I said, like, first attempt at seven, you you get to a place where you're just, like, this is me. Like, I mm-hmm. identify with this. And it took me a while to move out of that space. Like, 10 years of counseling, kind of, like, a while mm-hmm. to move out of that space from, like, 18 through 28. Like, yeah. And it's not like I was going every week and it's not like I was going for every month of every year. Also, if you can hear the cat caterwauling in the background, <laughs> it's because the cat was like being super disruptive and distracting in the recording studio. So then I was like, okay, cat, you go in the hallway. And the cat was like, meow, meow, meow. This is great. <laughs> and then like f- as, as many as five minutes later, it was, of course, back at the door like, no closed doors. No closed doors. Why? <laughs> And, of course, has been caterwauling ever since and will continue to do so. So hopefully you can't hear it on the recording. But if you can, my cat is adorable and I promise no cats were harmed in the making of this recording. I can confirm this. (laughs) I can confirm. The cat has food. The cat has access to a litter box. The cat has access to toys and so much love. It is a foster cat that is very, very loved. Yep. Enough said about Bastion the cat, who has again surface to take over to take front <laughs> take and center <laughs> bastion takes front and center of my podcast all the time i feel like but i also edit out a lot when i just like ramble on about my cat because sometimes i'm like am i turning into a crazy cat person i feel like i am <laughs> but it might just be part of being like a foster parent is just like by which i mean of a cat is that you foster cat after cat after cat and then they get adopted away so you start it's it comes back to that whole idea of like relationships don't feel permanent to me mm-hmm. like not even from like an emotional i have mistaken beliefs from childhood kind of way which might be impactful on that and it might be where i started but it's more of a philosophy i feel like if you think relationships are permanent i'm just personally more predisposed to take them for granted i'm like cool this is comfortable i'm always going to have this mm-hmm. i'm going to treat that person differently than if i'm like these years are precious they're going to go by so fast and then i'm not going to have this it totally changed the way I approached relationships in a way that I really like. Mm -hmm. So I'm more present in my relationships now. I give gifts way more often with no specific holiday. And I, I won't say that I like cry tears of joy in those relationships, but like I might like, I have like so much, there's just so much good that I can really like experience and enrich and absorb, like to go back to that, that, Rick Hansen idea that I was mentioning, the heal idea, that it's like, why not? If you can choose to have those positive experiences, yeah, the depression's still going to be there, but I can be depressed and also have these positive experiences. And to some extent, that gives me hope. That gives me something to look forward Mm -hmm. to. And not just function. Right. Because although being able to function is great and sometimes necessary, (laughs) um, but... I don't know. I've just gotten to a point where I don't want to just survive in life. You know, I don't want to just make it through the day. Mm. I don't want to just make it through the work week. Mm-hmm. I want to like actually get to a place where I genuinely feel like true happiness and 
where I can feel self-acceptance and self-love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds great. Self-compassion is a big one. Mm-hmm. That's part of shame resilience. Um, and do you remember the stages of self or the pieces of self-compassion? It's like shared humanity, like feeling a sense of common humanity. Um, and that seems to be the only one I can remember right now. I used to be able to remember all of them. I might, I might sure. have to look up. I think it's Kristen Neff's self-compassion and there are like three steps or something. I'm not watching a video right now, Google. Just tell me what they are. Self-compassion scale, self-kindness, self-acceptance, and, oh, right, the, sorry, self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Um, so part of it is in that sense of common humanity. Like, I am a human just like every other human. So the same things that I think every human deserves, I also deserve because mm-hmm. I am one of those humans. That can be very hard for people just in and of oh, itself. Yeah, totally. It's can, hard for me. I, I hear you. I, I can see the that. beauty in everyone else. I can like accept other people for their flaws. And for some reason, I can't do that for myself. Oh, there's a reason. <laughs> there is some reason. There's um, probably a multitude of reasons. <laughs> probably, yes. Yes. Those, region, those reasons are legion. <laughs> uh, and they attack at midnight, right when you need to sleep. Yeah. Um, self-kindness as well, which for me has always just been this commitment of like, giving others the benefit of the doubt and being kind to others and doing my best to look at myself the same way. Mm-hmm. It kind of helped me to think of my previous selves, like who I was yesterday that d- didn't have the knowledge of today as a different person altogether, mm-hmm. because it's easier to forgive myself for missed opportunities. If I'm like, yeah, that, that person just didn't know. They just didn't know. They didn't understand. They didn't have all the information. They made the best decision they could with what they had at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was garbage. <laughs> I am inheriting that legacy and working from that legacy. And mm-hmm. it's garbage. But also, like, they didn't know. And that's okay. Or they knew. And they knew they could do something. And they chose not to do something. And now I'm suffering. And it's like, and they didn't believe they had the resources to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, it was a shitty decision. And they didn't see a better one. Obviously, I see a better one now. But at the time, didn't see a better one. So that's kind of like self-kindness for me is like just being willing to offer myself that same kind of compassion that I would offer another person. Mm-hmm. So there's like the common humanity of believing that I am like all other people. And then there's being able to take kindness towards others and turn it inward, which sounds very similar to me, but they're distinct and different. And they're, they're also like cultivated separately. Seeing yourself as just one of many humans doesn't mean you have a philosophy that humans deserve love and kindness Mm -mm. but like self-kindness is that sort of philosophy of like giving yourself love and kindness i think Um, and then there's mindfulness which is again supposed to be amazing for anxiety all the literature points to mindfulness being really important Mm -hmm. because when you're focused on the present exclusively you can't really be thinking about the past or the future which is where a lot of anxiety comes from like depression they often say is like looking more at the past and anxiety is more looking at the future Mm mm-hmm but it's nervous of the future or fear of the future right versus like um this sense of like foreboding that the past is going to come back or this sense of like this sense of like deep creeping worry or regret that just kind of like is this black sludgy monster that just sort of like gets you tendril by tendril by tendril and just starts like pulling you under like it has this very Mm -hmm. 
you know hexis from fern gully mm-hmm. that's what depression is like for yeah. me it's <laughs> totally. like that black sludgy it's just that's how it's like personified in my not that that's a person but like that's how i how it gets form and shape in my head yeah and i have a relationship with that thing and it's like thinking about my relationship with it is hard and often induces anxiety or it you know like when i get close to depression like i feel that like frigid kiss that it's there Mm -hmm. it's like an entity in my mind in the room in my body you know and it's something i've done a lot of work on and i definitely still need to be doing work on it like it's pretty amazing to me after all these years of counseling like how much more work there is to do and it's also really amazing to me that how much more effective these four types of counseling are put together all at the same time, six hours a week. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's been really effective at showing me how passive I am as a communicator. I didn't believe I was passive before. After, um, after a surgeon is training, I'm like, Oh, I'm really passive in some areas of my life in ways that don't serve me. Mm-hmm. when friends want to go out to a restaurant and I really don't want to go to that restaurant saying no to them. Mm, that's pretty hard. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of needs around social acceptance and connection and community. Mm-hmm. But now I have all these IBS needs around like needing to be at home where I can get proper hydration, um, where I don't need to pay per cup of hydration. Uh, I know you can always ask for water, but when everyone else isn't drinking water, I'll drink water. And then if a server doesn't refill my water, I'm kind of hosed. I can like track them down and confront them in front of everyone. Like, oh, could you please give me some water? I say confront, but really, I mean like politely ask if they can refill my water. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. Like asking for what I need in some situations is very hard. And when I'm worried other people are going to judge me or I'm mm-hmm. worried it's going to make me look different from other people, I internalized at a young age that difference was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I also internalized that if I was safe, people would still resent me and people still wouldn't want to be my friend. So I was like, well... If other people don't get a chance to be different because it's dangerous, but I don't get a chance to be the same because I'm still going to be seen as an outsider that doesn't understand social etiquette or mores, I honestly think I'm some flavor of Asperger's or that I was and that I'm highly compensated now. I'm not sure which. (laughs) And it could just be too. And I don't mean to like appropriate this from folks that have like much more severe forms of autism. Um, But because we all sort of have those like non-socialized traits that can mm-hmm. look like they're Asperger's. So I don't want to conflate what I've experienced with an actual diagnosis, which I do not have. But like, fuck, like I run into situations. I, I simultaneously have that issue that is often associated with Asperger's where I believe the world should be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I get very frustrated that the world isn't the way I think it should be, especially around things like efficiency. And I think that's part of the reason why I think it transcends regular frustration around the world not being the way you want. I honestly, I carry that weight every day, but around like environmental issues and and the lack of empathy and compassion for other people mm. and the corrupt society and political systems that we have in place. Sure. Like I think about that stuff almost on a daily basis. And that could just be being a millennial in this time period mm-hmm. or having anarchistic leanings in this time period, both of which are pretty common in our generation, mm-hmm. I think. Like either being anarchistic or being really concerned about how capitalism in its current configuration is absolutely disempowering for some folks, locks people into poverty, which locks them into these like inabilities to access resource, 
often along power dynamics, which means typically in racist, typically in mm-hmm. misogynistic ways, you know, typically in ableist ways, like along power dynamics, we have capitalism is a really awful monster to marginalized populations. So mm-hmm. figuring out how we either regulate capitalism so it's not monstrous to people or figure out a new way of running society that works better for us, um, that's going to be a decision for the next 100 or 200 years, I honestly believe. And it's probably going to look like regulating capitalism. And I don't mean to say that to be like the wet towel in the room because I think a lot of us, um, especially in the millennial and, and post-millennial generations, like want some form of major social change, some form or of socialism. some kind of revolution or something. Yeah. See, for me, revolution seems like a very bloody, very expensive thing, whereas like drastic changes or even subtle changes accumulated over long periods of time have led us out of um, child labor and child indenturing. They've led us to an eight-hour work week. Like We've put some pretty major dampers on capitalism as it is we have unions we have collective Mm -hmm. bargaining like we have civil disobedience rights and like being able to do general strikes and to do protest and stuff even though as is being made clear by wet soetan um this yeah yeah you don't always have the right to protest it's like a very conditional thing which is or the freedom of speech Freedom of speech is like a trickier one because there's it gets tangled up in hate speech and it gets tangled up in defamation and there's like it we could do a whole podcast on the complexities of trying to have freedom of speech and why it's so difficult. Um, but yes, we don't have freedom of speech. Hands down, we'll agree with you in Canada. Yeah, good topics. We could talk about anarchism for a long time because mm-hmm. I, I have those feels. Um, but what I was getting at was this sense that like the world isn't as it should be, not because of the big things, but because of the little things. That's where I would draw the distinction between more Asperger's-y sort of characteristics. It's like, hmm, at Subway, why do they touch all the vegetarian food with the same glo- the same hands that they touch all the meat food? Like mm-hmm. in India, it's separate. They just have different lettuce. What, is lettuce too expensive for you, Subway? Like that type of shit. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it isn't just like, I'm not even a vegetarian. Do you know what I mean? It just, it. I look at it and I say, that is fundamentally wrong in a way that is, your mic's fine. You can just leave it. Um, but I'm like, that's fundamentally to me flawed in a way that is easily resolvable mm-hmm. for like almost no money for them. It's like in insignificant in like a major way. And it would significantly improve the functioning to me, like my perception of what the functioning is. Cause maybe from their perspective, like we don't want to have to train employees like that. Right. We don't, we don't want to have to deal with it. And mm-hmm. who cares? Who really cares? You know, some vegetarians, what do we care as a business? Right. From my perspective, I'm like, no, this is wrong. <laughs> like, So I'll fixate on like little things that feel wrong about the world and be like, in some ways unnecessarily charged about it and I'll carry it with me like through my day in like in in like there is something fundamentally wrong with the world kind mm-hmm. of feeling. Ah, yeah. And it's it's stuff like that all the time. It'll mm-hmm. be like for government offices or bureaucracy. Oh my god, something is wrong in the bureaucracy that isn't efficient. Um, right? But like I'll have those feels and they'll be really intense. So like, so for me, when I say like that, I've never felt like I've understood social mores. It comes from that place of being like, people will have specific social mores like, oh, well, you just don't do this thing. Or like in our culture, we just don't do this thing. And I'm like, why? I need to know why. Cause it's wrong. Um, like that kind of staunch self-assuredness is often attributed to more of like the 
the Asperger's and autism spectrum kind of area, at least in my lay understanding. Please correct me if I'm wrong and you can flame me online. I will, I will, I will stand out there and take the burns for being an ignorant person that is, that is appropriating this language. If that is what you feel is happening here. But from my perspective, um, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, sort of, (laughs) But but for me, that's sort of like the idea of social mores, like, oh, well, you know, relationships look like this. Or like, when you kiss someone, this is what you mean by that kiss. And I'm like, no, no, that is not what I mean by that kiss. You do not get to tell me what I mean by a kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of shit. I feel very angrily, staunchly entrenched in my position. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm a relationship anarchist. So like when people are like, um, I've literally had a partner say to me, like, when I was like, can we be like friends afterwards? Be like, when were we ever friends? And I think from their perspective, they were like, we weren't friends before we were partners and now we're not partners. So we've never been friends. And I'm like, no, like my perspective is we were friends the whole time Mm -hmm. and any identities as being sexual or quote unquote romantic, whatever the hell that means. Um, Because I'm like emotional intimacy and this idea of romance. I could go on a whole tangent about the idea of romance being about ideals and the question being whose ideals, Mm -hmm. right? Because my ideal of what I see as romantic may be very different from what someone else sees as romantic, but we tend to take this mainstream um, dominant culture approach Mm -hmm. of like, this is what romance is. With norms. Yes. And scripts. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. So I was talking about social mores that I don't understand. And there was something I was talking about before that. But I got sidetracked. I managed to track it back from where we were all the way back to when I was like, I do not follow social mores, do not understand scripts. And I often get like pushed into them and I'm like, I'm not trying to be an asshole. I just don't, I don't agree that relationships should be like that necessarily. Mm -hmm. If you want to have those relationships, great. Not with me. That's kind of how I feel about just the normal, not normal, but just, um, majority of um relationships out there that are portrayed as normal Mm. um like man and wife and children and white picket fence you know like that typical family structure that is so common and that has been the norm for so many years and now finally in the last couple decades there's been kind of more liberation happening and um more exploration on that in different aspects of um, relationships and sexuality and and that sort of um, sense of identity and figure out who you are and what you want and what you desire in life. That is such a great segue into the next episode topic that I want to talk about. So if you're good ending the session there, do you have anything pressing that you want to say specifically about HSV and destigmatizing stuff? I'll put links in for the patient guide mm-hmm. so that people can go in and look at it. And there's also a doctor's guide as well. So if your doctor's being a douche, you can be like, here's the guide for physicians. Go educate yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Education is so, so important. Um, being able to have educated conversations with people as well. Like I know for me, like I've had to do a lot of research over the years on on these specific topics and, and other aspects of um, things that we've talked about in this podcast. So, mm-hmm. Well, the resources will be available online. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Charisma. Yes, and thank you for having me, and thanks for listening. So how was it, Intimates? 
Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.